Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. Social media platforms and the usage of these has exploded over the last decade and impacted on the lives of many millions across the world, perhaps none more so than adolescents. So how has this impacted and changed the experience of bullying that happens in these contexts? In today's episode, we talk to Nora Trompeter, PhD candidate, research assistant and academic tutor from Macquarie University in Australia. We explore how the experiences of cyberbullying differ to face-to-face bullying, what mediates the impact of this and what we can do to support the victims. Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Today we're going to talk about your research which looked into cyberbullying and the impact of cyberbullying. So I wondered if you could start by just explaining how your interest in this area developed. Yeah, great question. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. So I think what really got me interested in the whole um, area of cyber victimization is that we've long known that bullying can have really detrimental impacts on children. And there's been so many great advances in helping reduce bullying at school um, and help students. But I think in recent years, because we've had this whole rise in the use of social media, we're seeing a whole different type of bullying. Now it's not necessarily taking place in the schoolyard, but instead happens online. So I think what's really important to consider there is that this type of bullying is much more difficult for kids to escape their bullies. So being bullied at school, once you leave the school grounds and get home, you usually escape that victimization period. Whereas with the online stuff, even if you go home and you switch on your phone, you can still experience these things. So it makes it a bit more difficult for children to kind of switch off. And so just then, as you were talking, you used the terms cyberbullying and cyber victimization. And I'm wondering from your perspective, do they mean different things? So I think when we're talking about cyberbullying, it really encompasses the whole concept of that someone's being bullied, which means that there's an intent to cause harm um, and it's usually by someone with a bit of a power imbalance that happens more than just once. And I guess when we're talking about victimization, it's really the same thing, but we're talking about it from the person who's being bullied's perspective. So does a child feel like they're being victimised? The subtle difference there being that we're really talking about their perspective. So, for example, it could be that someone, especially online, is saying really mean things, but they don't necessarily consider them to be all that hurtful. But for the person who is um, the victim of this, it's really hurtful and detrimental. So I think that's where we're talking about the victimisation aspect of it. So you mentioned there the rise in social media and its ever-presence in our life. And this is really something that's exploded over the last few years. So I'm wondering if we do have research already on the impact of this and if it's different to that face-to-face peer bullying that I guess has been around for a lot longer. 
Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So what we have learned in the last few years that most of the impacts of cyberbullying are really the same as they are for uh, traditional forms of bullying. So we know that kids who are victimized online um, tend to have much higher rates of um, anxiety, of depression, body image concerns. So all of these things that we know are impacted by more traditional forms of bullying are also impacted um, in cyberbullying. I guess the biggest differences we're seeing um, are with kind of the depression mood. So usually kids who are victimized online tend to have somewhat higher rates of depression. And also something that is quite different in the online sphere is that um, victims can also quite quickly become bullies themselves. So it's much easier for them to retaliate, um, whereas that is quite different if it's um, in a face-to-face context, especially we're kind of talking about the power imbalance. So it's really difficult for someone, say, with physical bullying, if um, one child's much weaker than the other, it's difficult to retaliate. Whereas if you're online, it's much easier for them to kind of switch roles and then bully themselves. And do we have a sense why cyberbullying has more of an impact on depression than peer-to-peer bullying? I think that's a really good question. I think we really need to know and learn much more about that. Um, I think the current theories are really around that it's so constant and you can't escape it. It's really there all the time. And you mentioned before the power imbalance in peer-to-peer bullying, face-to-face bullying. So I'm wondering whether something like the anonymity of online interactions might also influence how those feel and how they happen. Yeah, absolutely. So the anonymity can be a huge problem because people can also be bullied and not know who they're being bullied by. It could be someone that they've never met before in your life or it could be someone hiding behind a screen name. And I imagine that the amount of children and young people who've experienced cyber victimization must be very high considering how much their social media use has increased and how much we know that kind of bullying is out there. Do we have data on its prevalence rates? Yeah, absolutely. It's quite difficult to actually get good prevalence rates because they differ so much depending on the type of questions you ask or the time frame you have. What we're usually finding in our kind of studies, we usually look at the occurrence of one school term, um, so say around three months, and we usually find between 10 and 20% of students support being victimised in just in that time. So it's quite a lot, fortunately. And so what did you hope to find out from your own study? So in our study, we really wanted to understand the link between cyber victimization and internalising difficulties, so namely social anxiety and depression because those are very common outcomes for kids to experience if they have been cyberbullied. So while we know that cyber victimization is linked with increased anxiety and increased depression, we don't really have a good understanding of what is linking those relationships. So kind of thinking about those underlying mechanisms. So what happens in kids that really contributes to the rise in anxiety and to the rise in depression? And from research on more traditional forms of bullying, we kind of looked at two specific mechanisms that we know had an effect there. So specifically, we looked at two factors. So the first one was coping self-efficacy. So that's really the belief that adolescents have in their own ability to cope with cyberbullying. So it's things like 
if I were cyberbully today, do I feel like I can get help? Do I feel like I can kind of disengage from that victim role? So how do I believe that I can cope with it? And then the second fact to be looked at was emotion regulation. So really how well can they manage their negative emotions like fear and sadness? So if you're feeling sad, how well can you manage that feeling and not let it overwhelm you? So to go back and explore some of these concepts a bit more, coping self-efficacy is this idea of a sense of whether you have control over what happens to you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And in this particular study, we tailored it specifically to cyber victimization. So we kind of gave the students an example, like if you were bullied today, how well do you think you can do these things? And then it was examples like tell a parent or um, tell yourself it's, it's not about me, it's about them. So really what we think about with what what good coping would look like and how much they think they would be able to carry out those skills. So I guess if we're talking about self-efficacy, it's really what we believe our ability is like. Mm -hmm. And so in peer victimisation, that coping self-efficacy mediates the impact that that victimisation has on the young person And the other mediating factor was emotion regulation. So could you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we all all experience emotions and especially the cyber victimization can bring up really strong emotions in that moment when you see it, maybe read a message. And so it's really thinking about how well, again, they can deal with those feelings in an effective manner. So we know that it's really kind of an overwhelming emotion. They feel like, they're losing control over the feeling and really feels so overwhelming. And then we know that linked to uh, anxiety and depression. Whereas if we know that when kids have skills to deal with that feeling, so to say, to really accept that feeling or do something constructive with it rather than just letting it overwhelm them, they tend to have much lower rates of anxiety or depression. And so in your study, how did you go about working out what was mediating the impact of cyber victimization, cyberbullying. So for this particular study, we recruited a sample of high school students in our local area. So that was around Sydney in Australia. So for one of the periods, instead of doing something else, they're doing a survey. And there's a whole lot of questions relating to their cyber experiences. Um, so um, how they're engaging online, whether they've been bullied, and then also some mental health questions. So that's where we kind of asking about how well do they regulate their emotions? How do you think they cope? What's their anxiety and depression symptoms been like? And um, what did the results show? So as we anticipated, we found that both coping self-efficacy and emotional regulation um, had an indirect effect in the relationship between cyber victimization and social anxiety and depression. So that is the more students were being cyberbullied, the lower they said that their coping self-efficacy was and the lower their emotion regulation skills were, which in turn was then linked to higher levels of anxiety and higher levels of depression. So it's really that path from victimization to these coping skills to then the mental health outcomes. And what was really interesting in our study in particular is that when we considered this indirect direct effect 
um, that when we looked at social anxiety as kind of the outcome, there really was no direct relationship between victimization and social anxiety anymore, where it's really the whole link was accounted for by the coping and by the emotional regulation skills. So it's really telling us that those skills are um, very important when we're looking at this relationship. When we looked at depression, it was similar, but there was still a direct association between victimization and depression. So it's really telling us that while these coping skills and the regulation skills are really important, there's still something else going on that is explaining the depression symptoms in adolescents. So in theory, you could have a young person that was experiencing cyberbullying but had very strong coping self-efficacy and they wouldn't necessarily experience such significant impact on their depression and anxiety levels. Absolutely, and that's kind of where a lot of the practical implications that come from this kind of research where you can say, okay, this terrible thing can happen to a child, but if they have high self-efficacy for their coping skills if they can regulate their emotions that doesn't necessarily translate to a heightened social anxiety. And to dig a little bit further you found that coping self-efficacy could be split into different domains and some of these have more of an impact on mediating that effect of cyberbullying. So yes when looking at the coping self-efficacy we really split it into four different domains. So those were two kind of cognitive uh, based skills. So um, that's the avoiding self-blame. So how well can you tell yourself that it's not about you? Um, And also the disengaging from the victim role. So again, really being able to say you have other friends, it doesn't upset you as much or what they say doesn't matter to me, those kind of things. Mm. And then there were two behavioural domains. So that's really more about actively doing something um, when coping with bullying. So those were proactive behaviour, so getting help from a friend or from a parent. And then the other one was the avoiding aggressive behaviour. So the skill that they have to not retaliated. So those were the four domains we really looked at. And one of the things that really came out in our study, it was really those cognitive domains that came up really um, strongly. So why understanding this is really helpful? Is it because it can suggest areas that we can focus our interventions to help protect against the impact of cyber victimization? So do you have some ideas about how schools can use these two factors? emotional regulation and coping self-efficacy to support victims of cyberbullying. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the really important implications from the study is that it does give us these ideas of what people can do to support victims of cyberbullying and also that there are also things we can just do generally to support kids. So in terms of what we found in our study, the importance of those coping self-efficacy skills and emotion regulation skills. So if we can really boost those kind of skills within kids, we know that if this were to happen to them, hopefully they'll have better outcomes. Or if they're being bullied, we can tell them, okay, this is a really terrible thing that happened, but you have the skills to deal with this. You know how to talk to your friends about it. Um, You know how to deal with these really strong emotions um, and then to kind of help them deal with this experience better. And also what I really like about it, especially the coping style efficacy, they're all very practical skills. 
um, that can be taught. And especially, I think, in a school context, what teachers are actually really skilled at is increasing kids' self-efficacy in that usually it relates to their learning. And when talking to teachers about it, it's really a big part of their job is getting kids to believe in themselves and getting them to believe that they can do things. So using that same kind of skills and technique just for their coping, so really boosting their belief in how well they can cope with these situations. So there could be discussions of appropriate responses. So, hey, what would you do if you this experience? And it's like, that's a great skill. So really boosting that belief. Hey, see, you can do this. You know exactly what to do. And same with the emotion regulation. It's really about learning what to do. So I know a lot of the teachers in schools, when I talk to them, they now have lots of them. Things like mindfulness or like really coming back to the moment when you're teaching kids. Okay, you're feeling this overwhelming, strong emotion. So let's take a break. Let's um, focus on what's happening around us to really stop that emotion from overwhelming us. So these are all very practical skills that kids can learn that we know will help them if they're experiencing cyberbullying or other negative things in their lives. Yes, so actually, rather than offering lots and lots of strategies, it might just be building up that sense of confidence that that person does have strategies and they believe that they have a way of coping. And also when you're talking, I was thinking it's probably very empowering for schools to feel that there is stuff they can do to support these victims because it is so prevalent and they probably feel quite helpless in actually controlling it when it's outside of school hours or on technology that they can't necessarily access. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the really nice thing, especially with the cyber uh, victimization. We have so little control over what other people are doing on the internet. So it's nice to be able to have something that we can still do to kind of prevent some of those negative outcomes. And you spoke about some of the things that schools and teachers can do. Is there any advice you would give directly to young people that are experiencing cyber victimisation? Yeah, absolutely. I think many of the same things can be applied for young people directly. And I think one of the important things for young people to think about, if this happens to you, is like try to build on your skills that you have and think about your own strengths. So Everyone copes with these situations differently and everyone has different things they're good at. So, for example, some kids might find it really difficult to tell their parents about what they're experiencing online, but instead they might have a friend they feel comfortable talking about. So really thinking practically about how can I respond to this um, and what falls within my own strengths because there's not just one way to deal with these experiences. There's many different ways. Bullying is a terrible thing and it does make us feel all these really strong, bad feelings. So doing things that you feel comfortable with is going to be far easier than doing something that you know is really difficult or scary. And similarly, um, with the emotion regulation, trying to think about, again, what can you do to deal with these emotions? So whether it's maybe just stepping away from your phone for five minutes and taking some deep breaths or going for a walk or, yeah, doing some mindful exercises or something to really deal with those emotions before acting. 
And we've covered so much in this discussion, but I wanted to end just by asking you if there was one thing you wanted teachers or those people listening in to take away from this conversation, what would it be? I think what I'd want them to leave with is knowing that, unfortunately, cyberbullying is something that ha- can happen to any child at any time. So knowing that, but also practically doing things to increase their coping. So giving them those skills so that if and when it happens, they have those skills to deal with it. So whether that being increasing their coping, their belief, their emotion, just something, giving them something they can do. So it's really about having faith that there are things that teachers can do and be empowered to do to support young people who might experience this at any point in their life. Nora, thank you so much for talking to us about this today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and letting me share this research. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about Nora's work in the podcast description. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe. And you can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum. You can email us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.